Welcome to the Paragol Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I'm joined by Rhonda Thomas. Rhonda, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you having me. And thank you for waiting for me. I totally screwed up the times. I told you be here at one o'clock, and at like one twenty-one, Robert's like, <laughs> "Are you coming today?" And I'm like, "It's one thirty. He's like, "Nope, you told her one o'clock." So thank you for being so. And then gracious. you ran. Then you ran. You saw me, me running. I saw uh, you running. Okay. Well, that is true. Did I look fast? Yeah. Okay. That's well, great. That's great. Good. Good running. So you are the uh, the lieutenant of the criminal division. Uh, what is the criminal division? Uh, we work um, all felony cases that occur within the city limits of Paragould. So robbery, rape, homicide. Um, you never know what you're going to get um, when you come into work that morning. It's just whatever felonies come in is what we get. And how long have you been doing that for? I've been in the criminal division for 18 years. 18 years. Um, so explain to me, well, let me ask you, so I was about to have you explain to me like what happens whenever, for example, robbery and it comes to your desk or whatever. How did you, before I ask that, how did you get into this line of work? Cause I'm guessing it's, I mean, was it something you want to do when you were a little girl? Like, well, that's a story in itself. Um, I actually was 18 years old and I went to Columbia, Missouri for a baseball tournament and I was following some of the other parents. Um, I was a kid, of course. They went through a yellow light, and I went through a red light, and I got pulled over. And because I was from out of state, the officer made me go to the police department to pay my ticket. I was terrified. And the chief there took, um, he took me around, showed me the camera equipment, showed me the cells, and it just, it got me interested in it. Wow. Like, well, so, when you said it got you interested in it, you were just, it piqued your curiosity to where you're like, I want to learn more about it? Or did you know, like, right then, like... It, it piqued my curiosity, which when I was in school and they give you the aptitude test, yes. it always came back that I need to be a police officer. I have no idea why every time. But I went to ASU and I majored in criminology and I really enjoyed those type law enforcement type um, subjects. What do you like about it? At least well, at I that think, point, even what do you think piqued your interest? That well, I think that I thought I was getting into it to help people and I wanted uh, to help people. Yeah, yeah. Um, criminology, a little fun fact for you. That mm. was my major, my freshman year. Oh, there you go. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever confessed this on the podcast. I'll tell you because I think maybe you'll understand or maybe you'll think I'm crazy. But whenever I was a teenager, I got really interested in studying serial killers. Uh-uh. Is that insane? No, I've been there. I, I mean, okay. I love the documentaries and stuff too. So yes, I, yeah. this is before, like I used to have a printer, a folder, like Albert Fish, Ed Gein, all these different people. And I was fascinated by why, like how in the world does Jeffrey Dahmer happen? You know, and then there was a part of me, the helping, I guess, side of things that I I, I thought when I was my freshman year, I was like, I thought I'm going to be a homicide detective. And then I realized it's probably not as glamorous as it looks on Mm -hmm. the movie Seven. It's probably not, (laughs) actually. So um, you want to get in to help people. So where did you, did you start as a police officer? I did. I started here. This only department I've ever worked at. And um, a funny story about that. I finally got, it's kind of hard for a female back, especially 28 years ago. There was one female officer here and that was Kay Rogers. Kay Rogers. So it was kind of hard for me to get up my nerve to come. I was working at Big Star doing cakes. Man, it all goes back to Big Star. Making oh. cakes yes. at Big Star? Yes. There you go. I did. When would that have been? Uh, 1994. Jeez, you probably made my birthday cake. I probably did. Wow. From cakes to cops. 
that's the name book. of your book. Yeah. Cakes to cups. So you decide, what a jump. So you're like, I, I'm going to do this. Well, I came and um, they had, back then they did the tryouts at Harmon Field and you had to run an obstacle course. And so when I get there, I don't know if y'all know Brian Smith, but he hired on at the same time I did. And he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? Oh, wow. And I was like, the same thing you're doing here. Um, So the first time I tried out, I um, actually turned a hurdle over. I had never jumped a hurdle in my life. Didn't have any idea how to jump a hurdle. I mean, that's kind of intimidating. Right. So I didn't make it. And so about two weeks later, John Addison, who was a captain then, and he was hilarious. He calls me and he says, I'm going to need you to come back down here and run that again. I Mm. said, sir, I don't think I can jump the hurdle. Oh, well, I've been out there with a sledgehammer beating that thing down. He said, I think you can. (laughs) That's awesome. So I practiced in my backyard with two, um, I got two chairs from the kitchen and put them out in the backyard and tied a string between them. And I just ran and jumped and jumped until I could do it. So I passed the second time. And that was in 94? 94. Did you go on patrol? I did. I worked patrol for nine years. What was that experience like? When I was telling them before you got here, um, when I first hired on, I probably weighed about 100 pounds, and I was wow. really young. I looked like a kid, and I can remember being on a call, and this drunk guy said, hey, little girl, do you want some candy? <laughs> and one of the other officers, you know, took up for me, but in the beginning, it was really hard. I really had to prove myself. Well, I bet. Like, so if you were 100 pounds, how do you uh, – yeah, I, I guess like – I would think as a police officer, there has to be times where, for sure, you've got to come across like, I'm in control. Yes. Uh, I've got the situation under control. You're going to listen to me. You're going to do what I say. And so it's like, I mean, is it, is the gun your authority? Or like, I mean, like, I'm, I'm like, how do you do that whenever, and you said at the time, like, there weren't a lot of females in it. You're 100 pounds. I'm just curious, like, where did the confidence come from to just like, I can do this, even in probably some pretty sketchy, scary situations? I think the confidence came from my mom. Um, she raised me as a single parent, and mm. she always backed me, and she always told me I could do anything I wanted to do. So I've never backed down from anything, and anyone you talk to will tell you that. I just I'm, I don't back down. Um, but there were times I was like, once it was over with, I was like, whoa, that was sketchy, you know. Uh, did you ever think you were going to die? Have you ever had one of those moments? Um, no, not really. I mean, I've I've been in situations where I thought I could get hurt. Um, and I mean, but I really, you don't think about it until after it's over with, if that makes sense. You don't have yeah. time to think about it. You do what you're you trying to do. Up. Yeah. And then afterward, I like once we, um, years ago, and y'all may have heard about it, but we got in a pursuit of someone that stole a car and we're not supposed to pursue unless it's like a, a bad thing, a bad person that maybe mm-hmm. tr- killed someone or something like okay. that. But we got in a pursuit, and we pursued them to over around Kennett. We could not get out of it because there were all these other um, police agencies that got in behind us. So there were three of us from Paragool that was in it, and we couldn't get out. They kept telling us to get out, and we couldn't. <laughs> but we finally got the guy stopped over around Kennett, and when I stopped, my legs were just like the adrenaline. My Jeez. legs were just like bouncing like thumper, you know, just like da, da, da. <laughs> But it was a 10-year-old kid oh, who no. had broke. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Oh, he wow. had um, stolen a car. It was when Kroger was still here. It was years ago. Yep. He had on rollerblades and a crash helmet. Jeez. Oh, driving with rollerblades? Rollerblades and a crash helmet. I've never insane. seen anything like it. He had. What did have, y'all say to him? Well, I, I did, we didn't have contact with him okay. at all because the Kennett officers actually um, wow. pulled him out. But he had stolen. I mean, someone witnessed him crawl through the window and steal the car. And we wow. thought it was a grown 
you know, a grown man. Yeah, little boy, if you're hearing this, we hope you're okay. Yeah. yeah Reach out to I us. We'd love to hear your side of the story. Kid, but it was amazing because he was going by Mr. T's. He was going up and down in those ditches and Incredible. stuff. And he literally had to have an angel on his shoulder uh, that day. Sounds like it. But wow. my, my legs were just like the adrenaline. Once it's over with, your your body just, you know, it just dumps. It's Jeez. crazy. Jeez. You talk about not backing down from a challenge. Uh, you know whose mom this is, Robert? Well, I didn't until she told me a little bit the ago. Prairie dog. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. Alexander Lafoon, for those who uh, listen to the podcast, was on, uh, what was this, the episode before this one? Mm-hmm. Is that the way it's working that's out? Right. So, yeah, episode before this. And so he talked about the prairie dog, which I can't remember. What's your son's name? Trevor. Trevor. Mm-hmm. That's right. Trevor. And so um, if you've not listened to that podcast, go and be sure and listen to it. It's an incredible journey. And we want to have Trevor on. Uh, sometime to come and share his side of that uh, just incredible trek. So, um, so you eventually go from patrol, like catch me up to how, how did you become lieutenant of the criminal division? Well, so I wanted all cops. I mean, just almost all of them want to work drug or dope work when they come Why in. Why is that? Because it's more exciting. I think it's more exciting, or they think it is. It's better than writing tickets. Yes. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah. Have not, you written tickets? You wrote, wrote t- oh yeah, I used to write tickets, but I, the, it wasn't my thing. <laughs> I bet it's not. So, so everybody wants to get out of that, writing tickets to right. yeah, working with the dope. So I kept putting in to go to the criminal division, and they kept telling me no. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm, that's what I want to do. And so J.D. Stevenson was my chief then. And I honestly think he finally just put me back there to shut me up. I think <laughs> he was just tired of it. And he's like, I'll put her back there. She'll last three months, and we'll move her out. Mm. And I've been back there ever since. Ah, wow. So, what does your day-to-day look like as a lieutenant? As a lieutenant, I work um, cases just like the guys do. There's only four of us. Um, we're trying to get a fifth right now. Um, we're up to about 1,059 cases this year. 1,000 cases. So, give me, like, what are the majority of those going to be? Um, robbery. We have, well, we don't have a lot of robberies. We have robberies, though, uh, thefts, a lot of thefts. What's um, the difference between robbery and theft? Robbery is if someone uses force to take something from you. Oh, okay. uh, we have a lot of burglaries. Um, in the cars, things like that. Yes. Well, criminal criminal mischief, B&Es are the cars. Burglaries are the houses. Okay. Um, and honestly, we have a lot of child abuse cases, and that is my main, that's the main thing I do. I oversee the other detectives, and I, we all take call. Um, we rotate calls. So one week a month, we're on call. And if something comes in at 2 in the morning, it's just like a doctor. We get called out, and we have to come and deal with that. You get called out at 2 in the morning? Yes. So when you say, like, a, like you said even with the child abuse, mm-hmm. so why would you get a call, like, say, at 2 a.m. for child abuse? Like, how does that work? Okay, so um, we actually, a lot of times, uh, someone will walk in. Maybe a mom will walk in, and her boyfriend is abusing her child. Oh, and she, she will report it, and if something happened, real recent like that we want to get medical exams and stuff done as soon as possible so we come out and we interview the child or we make sure i'm a forensic interviewer as well so i can do child interviews Mm -hmm. and we'll get the child interviewed get the exam set up and just work the case wow how many child abuse cases uh this year I don't know how many we've had this year, but I can tell you uh, over the years, it ranges from about 60 to 100 a year. Crazy. What are you learning about the child abuse cases? Like, is there a, 
is there a common thread around like why certain kids are being abused? Like, is it? I think actually, um, kids are abused across the board. They're abused in wealthy families and middle class families and in lower class families. I do see a lot in the lower class families of drug use um, that leads to child abuse mm-hmm. uh, for kids that are in the home. When you're talking about child abuse, you're talking about like physical, sexual, all of it? All of it. Okay. Yeah. I actually even teach at the police academy. I teach child abuse investigations um, to each troop or class that comes through. Teach them is like, here's what they know to look for? Um, I, ta- I teach them how to respond to the call, how to get the child um, set up for interviews, how to collect evidence, um, just how to work it from start to finish. Jeez. So you said it's across the board. Um, it's not just, but but drug abuse is the number one. I would think kind drug of like thread or common. I theme. think it's yeah. So what happens? You'll find a kid who's been abused. What's the process for that? Like once they've been, abu- you find out like yeah they're being abused. Um, well, the the child will be interviewed, and if they make a disclosure, then if there needs to be a medical exam, then there's uh, the child abuse center in Jonesboro does medical exams on children um we will get the child sent there for the medical exam and then we interview the suspect um try to get the suspect to confess i'm pretty good at that have been tell me about that i'm curious about how do you get a confession from somebody i don't know that's giving away my secret oh it is good (laughs) cop bad cop Uh, no i mean i honestly i treat people with respect no matter what they're accused of doing or what they did Mm. and i think my whole career I've done that and I've put people in jail before and they thanked me for it. So I think if wow. you treat people with respect, it makes them want to tell you more. Um, yes. mm-hmm. And for the most part, I think they do feel, feel bad. They know that it's wrong. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times they will confess. Or a lot of these people who have done the abuse, have they been abused themselves or is that a misconception? Some have, um, some haven't, some have and, I, I don't know that that's a common – I don't think it's as common as people think. Okay. And I think some people might say they have just to make it sound better. Get more sympathy you know. or whatever. Yeah. Um, if someone's listening to this, and I'll ask two questions. One about if they think someone's being abused, what do they do? Um, so I'll start there but then and let you answer. And then on the other side of that, what if someone is being abused? Or they know if they have been abused. So let me start with if someone is – being abused, or they know someone being abused, what do they do? They can either call the child abuse hotline. Um, it's 1-800-SAVE-A-CHILD, I believe. Or they can call the Paragould Police Department or any agency uh, in their jurisdiction and report that um, abuse. And that's scary for people, right? It is. To make that. It is. And, you know, I think the statistics are one in four boys and one in three girls or something like that are abused by the time they're 18, and that is not even – it's nowhere close. I have people, I'm, I'm known uh, throughout the state for working these cases. I've, we've had great success in Greene County with um, convictions. So I'll have people 55, 60 years old call me and say, hey, I don't want to take this to my grave. I just need someone to know that when I was 10, I was abused by, you know, grandpa or whatever. I, I can't tell you how many people over the years have just called and told me they just wanted to get it off their chest. Jeez, why do you think they wanted to tell you? I think because I care. Mm. I think I've I have demonstrated throughout my career that I really care about. That is one a crime that I just really care about. 
I think in a lot of and people like normal people, I'll say they don't realize that, you know, to me, a mom and a dad or a mother and a father, that their sole reason to be on earth is to take care of their kids. But 90 percent of the time, our victims, their parents aren't backing them. Mm. Um, a lot of times they're telling them, don't tell. If you tell um, the abuser will go to jail, then we'll have to move or we won't have food. Uh. or. So a lot of times when the parents should be taking the child's side, they don't. So I feel like that I'm stepping in and trying to help them. In the, so in that. sad. What would you say to someone who is listening to this who has been abused? Like maybe, and it's like the the person who typically would come to you, it's like 30 years ago, my grandpa who's dead now or whatever, or a dad or a teacher or a coach. I have no idea where they even are anymore. And it's been, you know, um, someone who's been abused, what would your message typically be to them? Because not everybody's going to be able to come up to you and see you and have the time to talk to you, but maybe they're listening to this right now and they've never even told anybody. Like what would you say to them? I think that... That the abuse doesn't define you. It's not your fault. You didn't mm-hmm. do anything to cause it. And, um, you know, if if you feel like you can, you need to talk to someone about it, a counselor, mm-hmm. and just lay it out there and let it go. Just, just let it be gone, and don't let it define who you are now. Yeah. That's a good word. It doesn't define you. Um, yeah. It seems like, you know, just from my world, and I know Robert works in the same world too. Like just, I, I counsel at times with people who've experienced abuse and just the shame they experience is crippling at times. It you is. Know, I have, defines them. um, over the years, I try not to get, um, I guess, I don't know. I try not to get, um, attached to my victims. Um, sometimes it's hard and there are kids that I've dealt with over the years that you know, that I dealt with 15 years ago that still come and see me and still talk to me, and we still do Christmas cards, and um, they'll bring me something at Christmas or just come to say hi, or they reach out and tell me, hey, I graduated college today, or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's 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 a really um, mm-hmm. a good feeling to know that you help someone overcome something like oh, that. Absolutely. I'm mm-hmm. sure it is. So you said we deal with um, burglary, Abuse. Those are kind of the big ones. Um, I'm guessing we don't get much homicide. We don't. If we do get a homicide, we do. My my crew does work it. When's um, the last homicide? Gosh, I think it's been two years Has since it really? we had one. Oh, good. And when we get a homicide, all of us come out. So we like. If so I like get, you find out. Yeah, yeah. You find out so and so has been shot over his. At I this call house. everybody, and we all respond. And then what and, do you do from there? Well, we all have different little nicks that or niches that we're yeah. good at. Um, so Robert Sexton is my sergeant. He'll be lieutenant after I leave, and he does crime scene. So he'll go with the other two guys to the crime scene and work the crime scene, and I go to the substation, and I do the interviews. Ooh. So they will go. What are they looking for at the scene? Um, any evidence, uh, blood evidence. Um, Collecting all that stuff? Yeah, they collect that, label it, photograph it. And you're going and doing interviews with, like, what whoever made, made the call that, hey, I found this dead body. Yeah, or witnesses. Witnesses. Um, suspect. And you're just doing what I'm doing right now, right? I mean, yeah. you're just basically asking questions? Uh, yeah. Are you looking for something? You know, Can you tell when someone's lying? Yes. Can you really? Usually. I'm pretty good at it. Ask the kids. They'll tell you. How, how can I tell if someone's lying? Well, they, they say that, you know, the eyes will move a certain way, but um, uh, body language is what we're trying to look for mainly. Like fidgeting? Uh, certain things or, yeah. 
gosh, if anyone ever says I swear in a stack of Bibles, they're probably not telling the truth. <laughs> I mean, you know. Honest to God. Let your yes yeah. be yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. Lot. But you just learn how to read people. Now, now, not always. There have been times, obviously, over the years that I've been wrong. But for the most part, you can tell when someone's not telling you the truth. It reminds me of a dad joke I heard the day. It said, oh I can always tell when someone's lying. I can also tell when they're standing. <laughs> I don't think it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, what is the craziest case you've ever worked? Craziest? Or just like most or a couple. Biz- yeah. Yeah. Like, which, what's something that just jump out to your mind that you look back at that you're like, yeah, that was, uh, I'll always remember that. Well, I, it's not crazy, but I worked a serial rape case once. Um, serial oh, rape case? Yeah. When was that? Well, it started around 05, and I think we finally got him arrested in 09. Um, you knew about it, so it took an 05 to 09. So tell me what took so long in that process. Oh, my gosh. So You're he, aware of this guy in 05. We you knew got he was him here. Okay. He's on the radar. Um, myself and uh, Shannon Anthony, who works for the county, both were working these cases. But this guy perped on kids that um, they were young. They were too young to testify. Jeez. Um, they couldn't uh, really articulate what had happened to him. We knew he had been arrested before in Missouri. He had went to a mental facility, and then he got out. He came here, and we had like seven victims here. And we just made it our, I mean, our goal in 2009 was we're going to finally get him. But he would take these kids he would go to lower class families. Uh, a lot of them were, were people that were on drugs or who didn't have transportation or didn't have a place to live. And he would offer to babysit their kids. Mm. And he would take these kids and go churching, is what he called it. Churching? Yes. What does and, that mean? Um, they would go around to churches, even almost up to St. Louis. They went everywhere. And they would ask for money and food at these churches. And so he would take the kids around like they were his kids. And... We, we were interviewing these kids and telling the parents, you need to keep them away from him. You know, he's been arrested mm-hmm. for this before, and he got off because of a, a mental stay. Wow. And we finally got enough to arrest him here after the ice storm in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the kids was actually at a therapy session and told the therapist that while the ice was on, this happened. Wow. And so the therapist reported, and we were mm-hmm. able to get enough to make an arrest. How old were the kids? How? Um, they ranged from uh, two to oh nine. Gosh. And by the time we made the arrest, some of the kids had never told, but oh we ended gosh. up arresting on um, six of the kids. Wow. And he actually pled to like six, five or six life sentences. Oh, my Jeez. goodness. Wow. Yeah. Judge Phil Irish, by the way, I was texting with him a while ago, and he was just telling, he was bragging on you. And just saying how phenomenal you were. And he said, I think that maybe he had worked. I can't remember if he said it was the sex crimes. Maybe it was like 15 to 20 cases specifically that you've done. He's like, she's brilliant, like phenomenal Mm -hmm. at her job. So I'm curious, like what makes you good at that? Well, I'm going to tell you that um, Randy Flowers helped train me. He is the one who trained me how to testify in court. And I don't even know if he realizes what an impression he made on me. Um, Sorry. Oh, that's cool. But I just, um, when I came into CID, um, the very first serious case I worked was a child abuse case. And I had no clue what I was doing. None. I wanted to work dope. That's what we all want to work. And they said, you need to interview this little girl. I think she was 
six years old, and the neighbor had done something to her. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to interview this little girl. And so I went in my office, and I sat down on the floor Indian style, and I just talked to this kid, and she didn't make a disclosure. Of course, Lord knows I didn't do it right. Um, I know now I didn't do it right, but she made a disclosure, and we were able to make an arrest on it. And after that day, I thought, you know what? There's a real need mm-hmm. um, to know what we're doing and to work these cases. And mm-hmm. so I have taken every training <laughs> known to man. that Anything I can take, I take. Um, Leanne Vanneman, Leanne Stidham mm-hmm. was a big help to me when I first came on. Um, our department was a small department, didn't have a lot of training money, so she would kind of tack me on with the state police and, and, and get me into training mm-hmm. for free. Sometimes I would sleep in the motel that she slept in, and mm-hmm. she shared a ride with me. And, I mean, we just together, the community got me trained. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. That's a beautiful testimony. You're about to retire. I from am. this job well sort of yeah <laughs> okay so you're moving uh, after 18 years to the county is that right 28 years oh 28 years yeah you've been 18 years yep. just in this okay 28 years wow so what led to that decision to moving over to the county and what are you gonna be doing and I'm gonna be basically doing the same thing I'll be the captain of the criminal division at the county okay um, so you're so definitely not retiring from no. like the work I don't know if I can't ever can I honestly um, I love the work. I, I love it. But Brad came to me um, when he decided to run for sheriff, and he said, when can you retire? And I said, well, I can retire January 1 of 2023, but I don't know that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about it, and um, I studied on it for several months. And then he finally just made me answer, you know, will you go or won't you? And so I finally told him, yeah, I thought I, I think I can do some good there. What will be the difference? Like, I mean, obviously you're working in the county versus the city. Is that just a big difference? It's like you just feel like there needs to be, you've got kind of good leadership in place here, a good team in place here. Hey, they're going to be fine without me, but we need to get something going in the county. Is that kind of it? Yeah. Honestly, I think we'll be fine. Uh, Peril will be good. Uh, the, the guys that are down there, they're, it's going to be in good hands with them. And I think that if I go to the county, then we can work as a unit together mm-hmm. and work um all the cases together and that's really cool and kind of you know bounce stuff off of each other and and just have a good large team we'll have to have brad back on once he uh, gets into the sheriff position or starts i guess that's in starts yeah, january okay. one mm-hmm. yeah i need to have him on but that's one of the things i remember him saying probably the first time that he came on to talk about running for sheriff was that he wanted to see a more collaborative effort between the county and the city and that's something that's very impressive to me, and I hope, hope those that are listening have picked up on that uh, as they listen to this podcast, but they'll really hear it whenever Josh is coming yeah. out, where he talks about it's very unique how unified the leadership is in Paragould. That's not the case in every single city, but here the county and the city really seem to work together well, and just you're speaking to that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really a dream of, of several of ours, Um just to be able to, if I need help in the county, these guys come and help me. Or if they need help in the city for me to come and help them. Just as a big group unit to to try and, you know, handle the things that come across that we need to handle. And I think because I have such a good working relationship with these guys, I've been working with them for years. They're a great bunch of people. I think, it'll, I think we'll have um, good success with that. How have you... Um Two questions, I guess, that'll be on my mind that I want to remember to ask. I'll start with, um, how do you keep from becoming cynical? 
you're, you, you know what I mean by that question? You know why I'm asking that? I mean, you're just around, uh, you see kind of the underbelly of things. You see people when they're at their worst. And, yeah, I would just think it would be easy to at times have a more negative bent or view towards people. It, it is easy, and it's very hard um, to trust people. Yeah. I'm not a real trusting person. Yeah. I, same here. I struggle. Um, and any, and you'll see this across the board with law enforcement or medical personnel, when you see the ugly and the bad all the time, it becomes normal to you or more normal. Mm, desensitized to it. And so, you're, yeah. yeah, you're desensitized. So you, you really have to be careful when you're yes. around people that aren't around it all the time because they think, oh, my gosh, they're laughing at that, or oh, my gosh, I can't believe they said that. And it's just a way you keep from going crazy. A hundred percent. Yeah. I just had this conversation. So, you know, obviously in, in the pastoral world, counseling world, I mean, you're just you're coming across so much trauma. And just a couple of weeks ago, I had someone share something with me. First time I've heard it and something quite like this, but it was like it didn't shock me, if it makes sense. And I wasn't even like that tore up over it. And then I was almost like afraid that I wasn't tore up. I was like, oh, what's happening to me that I'm like, I used to, I'd probably cried over like hearing something like that. And it's, and someone explained it to me as well. Like almost kind of like a funeral home director where it's Mm -hmm. like, if you're constantly around death, like you cannot allow yourself, you, you literally could not survive if you let yourself get emotionally as involved as you actually need to be or whatever could be in every single situation. Like it would completely drain you it would you have to stay as detached as possible and treat it as a case and and that's sad because they're people but you have to you have to protect yourself as well um and i like i say my animals keep me sane everybody else says you're a big horse lover right I love every animal I have. Every animal? I have a skunk. I have a raccoon. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Look at that. I have horses, um, goats. And so I really feel like that that is my outlet. Um, What is it about the animals? Well, I mean, they can't can't talk back, for one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They can't go kill somebody. I mean, it's just, you know, I used to volunteer for Susan Boyd. She has, I don't know if y'all have ever had her on, but you need to. Um, she has such a big heart, and I volunteered for her um, ranch, um, If Wishes Were Horses, and we did equine-assisted therapy, and we did things with animals um, to help kids with anger issues and stuff like that. And it's just, I just really think animals have a healing power. I can't explain it. You know, I I would have never said that in the past, and I'm, um, someone actually shot our dog on Thanksgiving morning, oh, and so no. that in front of our house, and so like... Um, and he, he looks like he's going to live, but I was telling, um, just our community that we're part of, like, I never even thought I was really a dog lover, but when I saw my dog dying, like I cried, like I literally, and it was like, I just realized how I would say, this is my perspective my dog is kind of like a, a channel of God's unconditional love into my life. It's like, no matter how bad I screw up or who I disappoint, it's like my dog's always happy to see me, right. you know? And it's like, there's something that's really nice about having that. You know, and so I can, if you made that comment probably two months ago, I'd be like, I don't get yeah. it. But now I'm like, okay, I get yeah. why people, because I do that with my dog, I get so attached to animals. So, um, so you're how old? That's not nice. <laughs> I'm 54. 54. I'm curious, uh, is this what you dreamed of doing? I know you said that you were interested back when you got the ticket and thought, oh, okay, you know, police world, criminal stuff. Like, is this what you, is this, 
where you thought you'd be at 54? What you, where you wanted to be? I would say with the child abuse stuff, absolutely not. I mean, I don't think anyone dreams of doing that, but I feel like it's, it's where I'm supposed to be in my life. Um, I have, when I teach at the academy, a lot of times, and I've, I've started doing a little, um, before I teach, I say, you know, if you have to get up and leave, or if you can't listen to what I'm telling you, then you're probably in the wrong profession mm. because you're going to come across this stuff and it's going to be hard to deal with. Mm. I am blessed in a way that I can listen to the most horrible, horrific things that have happened to our young people. And I don't take it home with me at night. How is that? Is that I, totally mm. just like a wiring that you had nothing to do with? Or is it a mindset you developed? I, I think it's just a wiring that I had nothing to do with. I think it's just what I'm supposed to be doing. I think it's a, a, like a calling. I think I'm supposed to be working child abuse cases. And um, it's, I, I do hate that these kids are going through this. But when I go home at night, you know, it's it's I'm home. I, I don't dream about this stuff. I, it doesn't bother me when I'm not at work it's not something that I dwell on that makes me sick um and when I get to go like anyone who knows me I love life sentences y'all I mean that's my thing I like it you love life sentences I love life sentences on these cases um the very first um time I went to trial and I believe it was Randy Phil Howers Mm -hmm. that did it um but we had a guy that was just he just skated the line here in Paragola. We always knew he was kind of into stuff, but we couldn't prove anything on him. And um, someone reported that he raped him, and it was a child, and I worked the case, and I got enough to arrest him, and he kept saying, Miss Rhonda, you're going to be so surprised at the outcome of this trial. And I got, uh, I was surprised. He got two life sentences. Two life sentences, and I was just, like, blown away. Um and so ever since then, I'm like, I need another one, you know. But, I mean, I think that just shows that this community, th- people ask me, why is there so much sex abuse and child abuse in Paragould? It's not just Paragould. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Has it increased, though, per it, year or no? Like, uh, Not so much. Okay. We get more reports, but I think the reason we get the more reports is because people know we're working. Yep. I yep. mean, they know we're working the cases. And yep. so um, – but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But we're working the cases. And so I think that's – I get my um, pleasure out of work doing the job I do when I see those children vindicated. Of course. And when I see that they know someone believed them yes. and the jury gives someone, you know, a 40-year sentence or a life sentence mm-hmm. because they don't want this person back out to hurt another child. Absolutely. And it does so much to heal our victims to know that someone believed them and took took their side. Yeah, well, I could not do what you do, but I'm very thankful that you've been called to do that and equipped to do that because you are advocating and protecting and defending the most vulnerable people in our community. And um, that takes a lot of courage, and you got a lot of it and a lot of love, which you clearly have a lot of. I think I told you the guys from Night Production stopped by, Mm -hmm. and they're like, we love Miss Ronda. She's amazing. And so – they're good. I call them kids, and they're probably tired of it because they're grown men. But they got their good, own business. They're and all good that. kids. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, there's so much more we could talk about, but I want to end with some rapid fire questions, like we do every single uh, episode. And uh, if you're ready, 
I'm going to send them your way. It's like you're on the other side of the seat like now. You know yeah, what it's like are. for people to be questioned by you. Well, I think I'm ready. Tell okay. the truth. Now. All right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like you tell when you're lying or we standing. Tell. All, right. <laughs> uh, all right. Number one, what is either the last show or last movie you watched or last book you read? Um, Firefly fire, fire Lane. Firefly fire, Lane. <laughs> Firefly yeah, Lane. Yeah, it's about childhood um, friends that oh, cool. follow each other all the way through life. Oh. Excellent. Favorite band? Oh, man. Um, right now, we could just even say right now. You can go either all time or just right now. Whatever's easiest for you. The Scorpions. The Scorpions? Yeah. Oh, the Scorpions. Are they a metal band from the 80s? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Amen. What is that? Do you still are you listen to mainly like 80s music? No, I listen to everything, and I get that from my kids. Uh, they listen to everything from alternative to underground sure. stuff to country. Yeah. And when I'm with them, I listen to it too. And I like it most of, I, I mean, you. I like a lot of music. Uh, same here. Give me one song by the Scorpions. I need to try to listen to today. Uh, still love, still loving you. Still. That sounds like, that sounds like a slow song. Oh, no, it's, it's 1984. Not. <laughs> Look, he's checking. 1984. 1984. I was one. Oh my gosh. Mm. I'm going to come over there and hit uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out there. Since you told me your age. Um, what is your favorite meal? Well, Sheila Robertson makes the best cube steak and mashed potatoes and corn. Do you know Sheila? Oh, yeah. She's also going with us to the county. Is she really? Yes. And she... Snyder's taking everybody over to the good side of her. Yeah. (laughs) He's taking a few of us. He's taking the mouthy ones. We're the mouthy (laughs) ones. Yeah. Oh, uh, cube steak. Mashed potatoes. I had mashed potatoes last night. We do a, a mashed potatoes and Salisbury steak combo well you know when you can't cook you find people that can exactly perfect beautiful uh what's on your nightstand right now Um, let me guess a gun oh oh, i have guns everywhere (laughs) (laughs) do you have one on you right now yes okay and one in my purse and one uh, yes i have guns (laughs) everywhere um other than that a cookie jar with Why cookies? Not? With cookies in it? No, I don't have cookies oh. in it. But I because co- you ate them or because I you collect just... cookie jars. Oh. And so there's cookie jars literally on every table and every counter and every Seriously? cabinet in my house. How yeah. did that come about? I have no idea. Are you most proud of one? Do you have any that are like? Well, I have one that I got at the Willie Nelson concert. Ah. Weird. And it's a Chihuahua dog. And he literally, it like, he's like got a Mexican hat on and a little Chihuahua. <laughs> and why was Willie Nelson selling those at his? No, it wasn't there. I got it on. At, oh, at the oh, table. I was like, I thought you were get hey. the merch table. I was saying it's so bizarre. <laughs> he could, he could probably sell some. I bet he could. I guarantee he could. Looks a little stone. Yeah, he probably could. People there are probably pretty stoned. They're hungry. Right? Cookies. Uh, do you still bake? I do bake. Uh, oh, like cakes, cakes, cookies, everything. Wait, pies? I do. No, I do wedding cakes. Really? And occasionally I'll do a birthday cake for someone I really like. But for the most part, I do wedding cakes. I do, I love, I enjoy doing flowers. I worked for uh, Brins when Brins was here. My mom used to do flowers. And I worked for them for 20 years for holidays. And I just love doing, um, it's just, it's just like no stress work. Cakes and flowers are just no stress. See instant results and you know you bless. You might be one of the most interesting women I've ever met in my life. (laughs) I mean, have you ever known anybody who enjoyed making cakes, uh, flowers, and I guess you make flowers, but arranging flowers, making cakes, arranging flowers, and and busting bad guys. I love it. (laughs) That's a great combination. That's really good. That's awesome. 
Oh, that's great. I hope we get to hang out more at some point in the future. Oh, back to the gun question. Can I, uh, I have a question. Uh, all right, in, introduction to handguns. If you're going to get your first handgun, what do you need to get? That's a good question. Well, I bought my mom, a th- when she was still with us, I bought her a thirty eight because I thought it was easier. You can tell when it's loaded. And it's just like a revolver. Yes, a thirty-eight okay. revolver to me would be the easiest gun to get for someone who knows nothing about them. Okay. Because you flip the little cartridge out, you can tell if it's loaded, and all you do is pull the trigger. Yeah, I um, I do not own a gun. Maybe I shouldn't say that over the air, but I want to get one. But I I think like one time in my life I had a gun, and I thought someone was robbing us. My wife could tell you the story, and. I mean, if someone were robbing us, we would have been killed because I I rolled off my bed very gently. And when I got to the end of it, my bed just goes, I that really terrible. <laughs> I was like, okay. But I still tried to say, and I got my gun, and I was so loud fumbling around. Trying to, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I walk around. If my grandma would have jumped out, I would have blown her head off. I had so much adrenaline pumping, and it was my dog going through the trash. Oh, oh. my gosh. Well, uh, uh, y'all got to. Quick story. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought my, my mom lived in, she passed away in uh, 2017, but, or 18, but she lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and there's a lot of crime there. And she's single. And so she was going to and from work late at night. So I got her this revolver and I taught her how to use it. She even went with the preacher's wife to a gun class. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. And then so Hurricane Irma hit her house. And so we were down there and we're trying to pack up stuff and I find a bunch of shells and i'm like mom where's that gun oh i threw it away threw it away you what you can't throw a gun away and she said i think i threw it away i just wasn't comfortable having i said mom threw it away (laughs) well actually i i did end up finding it later but i brought it home with me because obviously she wasn't gonna she wasn't gonna use it yeah she just tossed it into the real bag or whatever (laughs) good grief that's awesome uh give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy um, I love watching my kids play ball. Mm. Even though they're grown, if they play 3v3 soccer, I'm there to watch it. Mm. Very cool. Last question. What is one thing you're deeply grateful for right now? Um, my family. Probably uh, not even close yeah, uh, to like that's almost always the answer. Yep. Number one, family. Yeah. I have three boys and they are my life. Mm. Well... Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I know that this is like not easy for you to do this, so it takes a lot of courage. And thank you for your grace and your mercy, because I feel terrible about being late for this. Oh, you're fine. This conversation, and I'm like, I do not want you on my bad side. <laughs> and so, anyways, best of luck to you when you move forward into the county. And so, and once again, thanks for all that you've done. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, for those of you that are still listening, we really want to thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, please check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Also, if you would, go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating there. That just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the really amazing people that are living right here in our city. As always, we appreciate the listen. Until next time.